0: Welcome, Marvelites, on an all-new episode of the MCU Exchange Podcast. We are in episode 1414. And I uh, hope you guys are staying safe at home and uh, you can listen to us over at different platforms, starting off with Spotify, YouTube, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Breaker. Just go listen. Just go follow us on, on uh, over there so that we can, you know, give you a shout-out. You can listen to a lot of our episodes as we talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the... Uh, just want to give a shout out to all our followers at Facebook, at facebook.com/slash DMC Exchange. Please do like us there. You can also follow us on Twitter, that's twitter.com/slash MCU Exchange. You can also follow us on YouTube. Yeah, there are a lot of videos there. If you want, if you want to have that MCU um, feels, you can watch our videos there. And uh, there, there, are a lot of news here uh, today. But uh, I'm going to introduce myself first, of course. My name is Aaron. I will be your host for this episode. Alongside me is Charles. What's up? And Joe. Hello. Let's get right to it over at the rundown. And breaking news in the past week, which is really new for us since um, everything stopped due to the coronavirus. And um, first up, we have a brand new Phase 4 slate in terms of release date. Not the current crop of films, but in terms of release date. It has been moved. And uh, to give you a rundown, here we go. Um, I'm going to give you an overview of the slate. Uh, Black Widow was originally, of course, is about, about to be released. Originally on May 1st, has now been pushed back to November, November 6th, taking the original slot of The Eternals. Weird. <laughs> and now The Eternals <laughs> will now release on February 12th, 2021, which is the original slot of Shang Chi. So ev- every film has been moved one slot up. So the next one is Shang Chi on May 7th which is going to be the summer blockbuster of the 2021. 20, 20, 20, Next up is Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness on November 5th, and now Thor: Love and Thunder on February 18, 2022. That's Phase Four. Now we have release dates for Phase Five as well has been revealed, um, especially Captain Marvel 2, which is now set to open on July 8th, 2022. That is before. That's after Black Panther set to be released on May 6th, there's so much to unpack here. And, um Charles, what are your initial thoughts when you first saw this news? What are your thoughts about the new release dates?
1: Well, when I first saw it, the first thing I thought was, finally, it took them long enough to fucking announce it. Finally, the debate of the Black Widow streaming or should be in, should, should it be released in theaters, that debate is done. We now know that it's coming out in theaters as they originally attended to. Um, the, the wait will be a bit long. I think for the longest time, this will be, you know, the first time that we won't have an MCU film in months. Um, obviously, with all these changes, is, are the D- Disney Plus shows going to be the sort of opening to Phase 4? I mean, currently, Falcon and the Winter Soldier is still posted for August, but the problem with that now is that they haven't exactly finished filming. They're, they're, they're about to wrap, but, you know, it's not finished until it's actually finished. So who knows if they actually meet that August date? I mean, if if they do, then I'd be surprised if there's sort of if there's a, if there's gonna be a connection between Black Widow and and fucking the Winter Soldier. You know, as we all know, these films sort of have an order, mm. a viewing order, regardless where if we want, if we think otherwise or not. There's a reason why Black Widow was all, was supposed to be the first one to be followed by, um, Winter Soldier to be followed by. The Cardinals are maybe one division, so now that Black Widow is going to be at the end of the year, is it possible that we see maybe, you know, Falcon and the Winter Soldier get moved to sometime next year? The problem with that, now I mm-hmm. talked about it a couple of episodes ago, is that Disney Plus doesn't have content to draw new subscribers. So if you delay some of the stuff that people actually want to see, then you're putting the streaming service in an odd position where they could possibly lose subscribers or maybe even money. So, again, it's a very hard sort of thing to figure out. We still don't know how things are going to go within the next few weeks, whether the corona stuff, you know, sort of lessens or it sort of worsens. And, you know, I'd, I'd sort of, I wouldn't, I'd hold my breath as, as, as calling this the definite phase for release date because, you know, I could see this, Sort of change once the Corona stuff, you know, worsens, or I mean, God forbid, I hope it doesn't worsen. But you know, we gotta see first how things go before we mm. sort of commit to this release date.
0: Joe,
2: your thoughts on the new slate? Uh, I think it's a it was a smart move. I was I was actually rather surprised that they went that direction, um, but it makes sense because the problem is is that all these release dates are pretty much locked in. It's a contractual. I think, fight every year who gets what release dates. That's why they're booked about two to three years in advance. And I think the smart move here was to just shift it all. As sad as it is to think we're only getting one film after all this year, um, I think it works out in their favor. I mean, they did some marketing. That's going to cost extra. Um, I think they're taking that into account. But I do think that Black Widow is the start for Phase 4, I did think they would shift that just behind Eternals, giving that it's a prequel story pretty much, but there has to be some element that kind of starts or ignites the overarching star uh, story that might be in phase four. Um, I do like what Charles said, I, I do agree that Disney plus is having a bit of a challenge. I mean, they did recently reach a 50 million subscriber count. That is in insane considering how long it's only been available but as time goes by they kind of got around it by saying here's a year deal uh we offer that for a little cheaper and as most streaming services they don't make a lot of money in the start that comes over the time uh one thing i do believe though is that the good thing about the disney plus shows for example is that they are weekly releases they don't release like netflix everything at once so if let's say everything calms down in in austria at least i can say they're saying that by may stores are slowly opening again so by june july start stuff should kick up again maybe they have enough time to just kind of get some of the last shots together they release like the first four episodes uh out first say okay we're gonna have a, a short break and then release the the other episodes so there's still a chance that we could get some content before all of this happens um, but I, I, I have to say, I think it was a good move. But I agree with Charles; this could still change. The U.S. right now is worse off. Uh, they're on levels with currently Italy and Spain are, are hit, being hit by. So it's we're going to have to keep an eye out if it remains. But I think it was a smart move on their part.
1: Um, you mentioned earlier that you know these studios sort of book these dates two years ahead. They sort of you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I've I've always been curious how they do it is it like a bidding war among studios who are they who are they talking to to settle these dates
2: i I sadly don't have any any deep information what i was informed at least from from an austrian standpoint is that what they do do is they kind of have to they have this release schedule and they kind of pick or choose what release dates and then also change it depending on others so there are some biddings for like the big uh, summer blockbusters, but most studios kind of also have to take into account how long the production schedule is. So I have to say, Marvel Studios does have a very tight schedule from what I can see, because they pretty much always stuck the landing with the release dates. Um, the thing what that could become a big factor is also they shift around a lot depending on what is the weekend. So I I would say any holiday weekend. Ah, uh, where you have a three-day or four-day weekend, they fight for those, so they're really going to go to a bidding war. Um, but if it's, for example, like the the theme was with Justice League, where they back in the day where they had to shift it backwards because of pre-production, it also worked in the favor to avoid a big release that could swallow up their their budget. So a big thing is also taking into account what movie has what target audience. So that's why, oh. for example, Sonic the Hedgehog and and Birds of Prey released around similar times but have different results because the target audience they're trying to reach is different. So they oh. the question is, do they cannibalize each other? Uh, I would say a Marvel film would most likely cannibalize a lot of action films. And that's why action films kind of take a few weeks before they release after a Marvel film. That's a lot of take.
1: <laughs> go <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Stern, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so seeing this... Um you know, this release dates. Um, actually it's a good thing, you know. Um it erased the rumors, it erased those speculations that oh it will be released in Disney Plus. <laughs> there there are so many people saying that over at mm-hmm. Twitter if you happen to know that. And um, it's um it's important because you know the MCU is a um, movie going experience. You know, just recently, you know, uh we, we shared in the MCU Exchange Twitter account how and also Kevin Feige reacted to it and how the MCU changed the movie-going experience, right? Yeah. You know, there's the viral the, the, the video of fans cheering. Yeah, I saw um, that. And audience uh, reactions about the Avengers Avengers Endgame. And um, it's, really, it's really a great thing uh, for these movies to be uh, now set in theaters
2: moving forward.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I saw that sort of trending video. It sort of, yeah, it makes you miss the experience of watching a Marvel movie in in theaters with with the fans, with fans who know what the fuck's happening, with fans who know the context of of you know how why why is the scene so important? Yeah, that's I I'm, I definitely miss that experience. and I'm sure we all do.
2: Oh man, cinemas! Yeah, I really miss going to the cinema because right now you know watching a film is always an experience. But that's why I think also the Marvel films will mostly be remembered. It brings people together in a way especially those big temple films where people get references, some don't, and you hear, like, the chatter where they're trying to explain it to friends. Uh, we ha- I always remember when we watched Endgame, like, the people went wild at any moment. And even people yeah. crying when, like, Hawkeye's family disappeared. It was such an experience.
0: The one key takeaway there in that slate is that there will be Captain Marvel too, right? I mean, it's already confirmed, but the thing is mm. there's a release date already. Do you think a July release date works for a film like Captain Marvel, you know, taking over that slot that usually is with Spider-Man films?
2: Um, I'm actually surprised that there's no really info about Spider-Man if they're shifting that. But I think Captain Marvel could work. Uh, I think, if anything, Marvel Studios has proven that they don't really have to stick to the classic understanding of a summer blockbuster. And to be honest, as this year goes on, I think that notion is going to shift pretty strongly anyway. Um... It, you know, the question for me is, and I think the biggest challenge for Captain Marvel is there is a lot of controversy surrounding that franchise, and the sequel will pretty much prove if the if the if the people that watched it, the the billion dollar success was due to that controversy, or if that character can really hook line uh, its characters, especially depending on what storyline they go through, because we still know quite little of how they're going to approach Captain Marvel. Uh, the first movie was an origin story, but there's so much possibility what they could do. They have a time, they teased like a story with Ronan, but we're now five years ahead from, and that's just five years from the original timeline, and we still have all the time since the 90s. I have no idea what they're going to do with them. For the
1: Captain Marvel stuff, it's sort it's, of, it's, it's among all the stuff we found out, everything was sort of expected at least. The Captain Marvel stuff was unexpected because, you know, it's, mm-hmm. We we haven't heard much from it since Kevin Feige did say last year during Comic Con that they were working on it. So that is sort of exciting. With regards to the Spider-Man stuff, as we as we always see on, on Twitter, um it's not Marvel's thing to decide. Um it's a Sony matter it's that savvy. I hope I hope they do address it within the next couple of months because no, there's a lot of talk that what if it moves to November, then it can coincide with the Daredevil rights reverting, then we can maybe have that Spider Man Daredevil crossover. It could happen. Mm-hmm. Personally, I don't want to see that. I want to see a self contained Spider Man movie in his world with, with him dealing with whatever problems he has. Um, yeah, yeah that's that for me. I'm excited for Captain Marvel 2. I don't, uh, it's, it's weird for me that this franchise does have controversy attached to it, even though. It doesn't necessarily merit yeah. some controversy. So that's a sad part about it. But you know, I'm excited to see whatever they have for Carol's next adventure.
2: Yeah, sure. Okay. One thing on the Spider-Man, just in addition, I, I realized uh Sony was almost bankrupt. There were talks about it like the last two, three years how will they be affected by this current coronavirus? Because every film company is gonna take a massive hit right now. So I'm very curious how this affects Sony as well and with their own plans, if they're gonna stick to that route that they created because this could be a challenging time for them. And I remember that now they're talking about Apple potentially buying Disney, but years ago they were talking about uh, Apple trying to buy Sony. So this will be an interesting uh, direction for film, film studios in general. And I
0: believe there will be there will be a lot
2: of talks and a lot of meetings after all of this
0: dies down dies mm-hmm. down right. There will be a lot of uh, pitches, meetings, you know, executive meetings, management management meetings, and talking about you know what to do. I mean, basically, it's a clean slate after this, guys, right? Okay. Speaking of clean slate, earlier uh, we're now moving on to the next news. Earlier, <laughs> Taika Kawa- uh, tai Waititi, the director of Thor Ragnarok, and uh, the upcoming Thor: Love and Thunder went on an Instagram live. Um, basically, his first goal was to re-watch Thor: Ragnarok. But as I actually watched the whole live earlier, <laughs> because I was covering it for the direct. And um, the oh, thing nice. is, uh, there are so many reveals. At at first, it was he was he was watching Thor: Ragnarok, and um, kind of shifted there because Tessa Thompson and Mark Ruffalo joined in during that during that live. And uh, they talk about a lot of stuff, <laughs> and you know, Taika uh, talks a lot, and uh, he he babbles a lot about Thor franchise, and he, he actually made a fake script just to fool fans, showing that yes. Tony, Stark, Tony Stark is alive between uh, uh, Tony Stark and uh, Thor talking about you're alive, yes, I'm alive, <laughs> and then and and then also you mentioned that Tano is also alive, it, it sent fans into the frenzy, but. One of the more one of the more important reveals there is that we have our first concept art for Thor Love and Thunder. Uh, we have a new concept art of Meek, uh, which has a new armor, and also in earth clothes, in a female earth clothes. I don't know if he's mm-hmm. female or I don't know if he's, or aliens as a gender or something. But the thing is, Meek will have a new armor, Meek will have a new... Uh, the, uh, mentioned that the Asgardians will try to blend in with the humans, and it will be fun to see, <laughs> real fun to see Asgardians trying to adapt to life on Earth, even after the five year gap in Avengers Endgame. And also we've received a new concept art of new Asgard, um, it was, they're trying to rebuild it because, you know, Valkyrie is the new queen. Um, Joe, when you first saw those concept parts, what are your first thoughts about,
2: is it different from Thor Ragnarok, or is it an upgrade from Thor Ragnarok? It's definitely, what I can say, it's definitely Taika Waititi. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. what I thought, and this is a weird idea, but the first thing I thought when I saw the concept art was it was meek in like a businesswoman outfit, and there were yeah. the rumors that uh, Christian Bale is playing the villain, um, the Minotaur, who also is like a business owner of Roxxon, and for some reason... And I wouldn't be surprised by Taika to do this. Would he turn half of Thor into a, a espionage, a business espionage film where they're infiltrating the, the companies as guardians pretending they work there and stuff like that? I don't know why I had the idea, but it sounded fun.
1: <laughs> I mean, uh, that, that sounds fucking hilarious. And As we all know, um, Taika was pretty coy cool on who Christian Bale was playing. In the yeah. in the stream, I'm am like everyone. I'm still on board for uh, Christian Bill playing Dario Agger, the the corrupt CEO of Roxon, mm-hmm. who can turn into a minotaur. And like Joe said, that would be a funny sort of moment where everyone's sort of in suits and they're trying to blend in with within this company when they all they all <laughs> stand out. Like what the fuck, what the fuck is this alien in a suit? He's not fooling anyone. But yeah, it's, uh, I, I like the. Whole, I like the whole concept art release. Um, what what stands out to me was that was the Asgardian concept art of New Asgard rather. When we, we if you look closely mm-hmm. in the concept art, you can see some Viking ships in, in New Asgard that excites me. I'm curious if we're gonna get you know sort of a more Viking esque um production design. Obviously, with Asgard, they've sort of been mm-hmm. high tech. At the same time, being sort of ancient, so I wonder what kind of technology they have with the uh, with the uh, with uh, Viking ships. Maybe they can actually fly. And obviously, we heard Taika like, say that um, Love and Thunder is gonna make Ragnarok look super tame. So I wonder what that means. We you know we're getting the space shark, so that that alone just shows how fucking crazy they're going. Um, yeah, I, I fucking love this, the clips of. Of Tyka goofing around with Mark Ruffalo that gave me a huge laugh a couple yeah. of hours ago when I saw it mm-hmm. and you know Tyke is the best and it's 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 pretty hard to hate something like this
0: yeah and and he's willing to take risks he took a, he took a risk and Thor Ragnarok he changed the character and it worked and you know you trust him Marvel's Marvel Studio Marvel should trust him in what he's going to do and what is what his vision in Thor Love and Thunder. Also, he debunked several rumors. I just want to say that uh, he debunked several rumors about Silver Surfer appearance, about the Silver Surfer yeah. potential Silver Surfer appearance. He said he simply said he couldn't say, and uh, he was like, "Okay, <laughs> you know, typical Tyga." And also, he mentioned that, uh, <laughs> and when when a fan asked him about a B- better Ray Bill appearance, he just said, um, "It's up in the air," which is a really weird wording because you know if you mentioned it, it's up in the air. You, you're looking up at space. Mm. so uh, we, we already have an easter egg in uh <laughs> Ray Bill in Thor Ragnarok, right? I was already yeah.
2: So He's Dr. always B- out of frame above Thor.
0: Yeah. <laughs> do you think that with so much characters already in Thor Love and Thunder, do you think it's the best movie to introduce Better Ray Bill or do you want an- another movie to introduce him?
1: The thing is, Better Ray Bill is such a uh key character to the Thor mythos and you already have sort of Jane Foster turning into Thor here. So mm. if you have Better Ray Bill here, I mean how many fucking gods they have wielding hammers here. You can only have so much in in a, in a small story in a span of two hours. So I think they should just sort of skip Better Ray Bill for the meantime and just focus on Jane's journey into um the Thor.
2: You you know, I think the the question is for me is what they're building up to. And we don't know if, like, is this a new trilogy? Is this just, is this going to be the last Thor film? Because having a fourth installment is a whole new territory for the MCU. Uh, The thing that I find interesting is we have Groot, we have uh, Jane Foster Thor, we have Thor, we have Valkyrie, and there's the rumors of Better Ray Bill. This doesn't seem too far-fetched that they may have a Thor corpse moment, Something we saw in the comics not too long ago, that they have, like, different versions of Thor fighting together. And Just, I yeah. think if anyone would be able to pull off Frog Thor, it would be Taika Waititi. There's, there's mm. a lot of interesting things they could do here. But I do think that they shouldn't overdo it. Uh, I think that's one thing that Ragnarok tried to do. Balances a lot. It works, but I think more and more could overwhelm a little.
0: It's interesting you, you said that Joe about the Thor corpse you know mm-hmm. and uh, it's been confirmed that you know YPD revealed that space sharks will appear in Thor Love and Thunder which mm-hmm. is a star which is also a reference to the star Sharks. you know in Jason Aaron's Thor Run, one of the famous appearance of these sharks was when three generations of Thor coming together to fight them and yeah, for, yeah. and uh, for all we know this might be a tease on YPD's part. We could see Thor, Jane and Valkyrie fighting together defend to of these this piece, you know, that, that's an inter- interesting prospect. Mm. And, you know, another one that he teased during his life is, uh, ju- uh, of course, Mark, Mark Ruffalo joined in, they were joking around, they were joking around a lot of times, and, uh, he was, he, Mark Ruffalo asked, uh, like, am I in there? Like, do you want me to join the next movie? And White, White, <laughs> White, Edie hinted that we might, we might see the return of Hulk in Thor Love and Thunder. And, um, you know, I don't know if it's true because you know they're joking around. They're trying to um, mm. invite fans to join another live stream for tomorrow. But the thing is, it makes sense because Hulk was familiar with New Asgard as we saw in the Avengers Endgame. He already had an established bond with Valkyrie, Korg and Meek. You know, after fighting alongside them during Ragnarok, and you know it will be fun to explore what he has been up to after the Infinity Saga, and also his dynamic with the current crop of Asgardians. Joe, what do you think of mm. a potential return of Hulk in Thor 4?
2: If it, if he does return, I hope it's no more than a cameo. Because yeah. I think, I love the integration of Hulk uh, with Thor in, in Ragnarok. I thought that was a fantastic addition. But I think we're at a point where, as much as I love all these characters, I do fear that they would start overshadowing each other. And especially with the focus, like, alone the stories they're trying to tell here. We have a new villain we don't know yet. We have new Asgard being told, Thor's story, Jane Foster's story. It seems Meek and Korg are getting a bit more focused. And then the, uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy are also probably part of it. So my only way it could work is that they show up in the beginning, and then the story focuses more on Thor. So it's like a lead way out of Endgame. Uh, I would absolutely say that if Marvel Studios has the balls to just have H- a Hulk show up, no speaking lines, just walking around in the background, oh no one addresses God. it, I-, I would respect them for that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Charles, your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, my is the same. I think um, if if Beth Rebill has a slim chance of showing up here, I think Hulk has a slimmer chance. I mean, yeah, you have the Guardians and everyone else here. I think at this point, yeah, just keep everyone in their lane, sort of, so mm-hmm. to speak, so we could get a more focused film this time around. because as fun as, fun mm-hmm. as Ragnarok was, it did feel unfocused for the most part. Like all the Asgard stuff was kind of lame, and all the Sakaar stuff was cool. So you know, just stick to one thing, and you're gonna come up with a. You're gonna end up with a great product.
0: Okay. Next up. We have other news about Ant-Man 3. Uh, it was reported earlier that you know Marvel was su- reportedly keen on introducing the villainous MODOK and the Young Avengers in Ant-Man 3. We've talked about this, you know, uh, several episodes ago about the, mm-hmm. the potential appearance of these two, and now it's been confirmed that previous drafts written by Paul Rudd himself featured the featured MODOK. And, um, Charles, can you expound on the current news about this?
1: Well, the, 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 this is probably my favorite sort of info this past week because it's, it's according to Geeks um, Worldwide, Thomas Polito, he said that Modoc is essentially the benefactor character we've been hearing about for the past few months. Uh, in case you missed it, a couple of months ago, mm. uh, a casting call came out that. Saying that Marvel was casting this mysterious character that they refer to as the Benefactor, um, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, I heard that it was th- this character was gonna show up in a couple of MCU films. So, hearing that this is in fact MODOK is very very exciting because um, it's a fucking floating head and it's for, it, he's sort of the perfect <laughs> villain to have in a crazy film like Ant Man. Like if you put him anywhere else, he might be sort of. It might stick out like a sore thumb, but with something like Ant-Man, it's super exciting. Um, unfortunately, if you've been sort of expecting that this was going to be Norman Osborn, it's not. I mean, I would I would have been fine with Norman Osborn, but Monok is such a fun villain to have. And I'm excited that it's looking likely that he's going to be the big bad in Ant-Man 3. Because as we all know, um, the report also said that Paul Rudd, who wrote some of the earlier Ant-Man 3 scripts, had him as the sort of common villain. So I think it's very likely. Um, Thomas Polito also said that Young Avengers might happen here. Um, we heard that they were originally going to have the Fantastic Four, which I think was a fucking terrible idea. I'm glad they scrapped that. Mm. I'm glad they're going for the Young Avengers. So as far as, you know, as, as, as far as story rumors go, this is fucking pretty exciting.
0: Joe, your thoughts about this? Modoc. Ant-Man 3.
2: Oh, I, I am very excited for MODOK. Um, I, I think it's a hilarious concept of a character, so introducing him in Ant-Man 3 I think is a genius idea. I've also been a big fan of them bringing back elements from old films that just kind of weren't really utilized, like AIM. Um, uh, one thing that I, I have a bit of a theory on, because the Benefactor was talked about for quite some time, um, that was potential, like, even before our Phase 3, I think, ended, there was some kind of small rumor of some big casting they're doing that sparked the whole, oh, it's a Norman Osborn because Far From Home's coming out. Um, I I kind of think, I remember that was, like, some kind of screenshots of a scene in Black Widow where you see Yelena uh, on a table, and it said something like aim on a on a sign there. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if he is introduced as his normal human version in a prequel story to bridge the gap to the five years that he would then become the huge brain so they can kind of tease his existence and then bring him full on. So it's not like a, oh, here's a giant man and a huge brain, Mm -hmm.
0: Uh,
2: a huge brain, just huge head. (laughs) But I, I think it's exciting. I, I, I agree that Fantastic Four would not have been a good thing to enter. I think that's just way too early. And at the same time, it would just take away from such an important characters. I do know that I, I think the director, uh, Peyton Reed, is a huge Fantastic Four fan who once actually prepared a script for a series on them, uh, a film on them. And I'd be very happy to see if some of those elements come over. Um, I'm really curious, though, if it's Young Avengers... I think it's going to be like a – so either they can go two routes. It's like, okay, they're training Stature, the the next generation of for the Ant-Man technology, um, and then she joins the Young Avengers at the end. Or they go a different route and that Ant-Man is kind of a part – a trainer of the Young Avengers. I, I don't think they're going to do that because that would potentially take a lot away from Ant-Man. My only worries is that if you introduce the Young Avengers, that is also a bit more of a comedic series. Do they overshadow each other with comedy or can they then tell a serious story? Because I, I love Ant-Man and the Wasp, but I do think it had very over-the-top goofy moments as well.
0: Also, there's this new writer, uh, Rick and Morty writer that will be joining Ant- Ant-Man 3. Yeah. And mm-hmm. also the the writer of Nova in the comics. And There's this scene going around Twitter, you know, the interaction between Nova and the Young Avengers. And we could easily translate that to Paul Rudd's Ant Man, you know, asking the Young Mm -hmm. Avengers, oh, you are like this. You're the younger version of this one. (laughs) And the dynamic will be great.
2: As long as no one is turned into a pickle.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Pickle Louise. So, there you have it. Those are the big news in the past week in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's very rare, right? Oh, no, nowadays. And now yeah. we're moving on to the exchange. Woo-hoo. Now, we're going to talk about...
1: Oh, here we who go. Who
0: is... There's, there's only one, right? Who is the worst? And a uh, Marvel TV villain. Oh, interesting. Interesting debate. I will start off with. Want to start? Any volunteers? Charles, you want? Or Joe? Uh, wants
1: to start? Um. Okay. It's so hard because Marvel TV has so many shitty villains. Like I, I, I argue <laughs> they have a lot. They have a, a larger number of of uh, worse villains just by default because they, they, we have we've had so many shows and episodes. Um. Mm. So hard. Um. I guess I'm gonna say here because it was the last Netflix show I watched, The Punisher season two. I didn't like the priest character they got as a villain. I think he was yeah. super, he was super chumpy. I didn't give a fuck about what he wanted. Just, just, just me trying to come up with why I hate it. I can't even come up with a reason because that show was so forgettable to me. Um, oh my god! <laughs> another, another Netflix villain that I really. Disliked was um, Nuke in Jessica Jones season one, um, because I was such a fan of how they did, did Nuke in the comics, and to see him mm. become sort of like a watered down cop here who's just into drugs, sort of—it's not the character I grew up reading in the comics. He—he he was such an important character in the, in arguably, arguably the best, greatest Daredevil story ever, that ever born again. He was sort of the big villain there, and the character sort of has sort of faced off against the likes of Captain America in the comics. So, you know, to see him just show up as a cop was a very, very disappointing thing. So, you know, these these Netflix shows, there's not a shortage of bad villains. I mean, Luke Cage obviously has, is probably the most infamous sort of villain there, Diamondback. So I'm sure you guys will come up with a ton more horrible villains from Marvel TV.
2: Is it bad to say that I kind of like Diamondback? <laughs> oh, there were there okay. were, I there were I just haven't watched Luke Cage so go. <laughs> there there were elements of him I like. Not the whole pot package, but I liked some of the ideas and I I respect that show, especially with how little they used costumes in the show, in the Netflix shows that he actually got something of a comic accurate costume by the end. But I, I have to say, for me, like, if it comes to the worst villain character in, in a Marvel TV show, especially Netflix, it has to be the whole second season of Jessica Jones with her mother being a villain.
1: Oh, my oh, God. We're oh, insane. shit. I, I forgot about that. Yeah, that, that was – that fucking infuriated me. It,
2: it was an interesting concept on in on paper, and I, I think there were very good elements about it, uh, but it just, it did not pull through as I think they planned on to with the whole psychiatrist thing, and then it becomes about, like, the story they're trying to tell, like, the, the ending and where it leads is a fantastic concept, especially for a character like Jessica Jones, but to follow up, Kilgrave, who, alongside Kingpin, are probably some of the best villains Marvel has ever produced, it was just so disappointing because it just dragged on. The story was such a back and forth, and she wasn't really a villain, but they like tr- said she was, and then she wasn't. And I don't know. It just it it didn't really do anything for me. And I have a similar issue with uh, Agents of Shield's Ruby Hale, the uh, daughter of the the next generation of Hydra. Yeah. Because I'm generally not a big fan of uh, whiny villains.
1: It's so funny because when you mentioned Ruby I was like, who? And then I remember she was was Dove Cameron. Yeah, I I remember, yeah.
2: I may have had to Google it just in case because I couldn't remember the name.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So bad, yeah. Gerald Hale, Ruby. Uh, Mine, my entry is Madame Gao. (laughs) Oh. 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 I just, you know, in the personal standpoint, I just felt cringy to me whenever he she's on screen, and no, I just felt that urge to be, you know, not motivated when he's on screen during Daredevil, and also Iron Fist, and also Defenders. Um, it was like it was just there in the background, um, having endless supply of shadow ninjas. You know, if you don't if you disagree disagree with her. Just, yeah, I'm going to send you Shadow Ninjas. going to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, like the character it, It's so lacking. Like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. yeah.
2: Go. I, I think season one introduced a good concept with her. They just never really followed through on it. That was my yeah. problem with her.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and therein lies the problem with these Netflix shows. They sort of have good ideas on how to sort of tease what the fuck's happening. I mean, like, mm. I, 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 though I, didn't, I didn't mind Madame Go. Until their Devils, until defenders sort of went when they sort of unraveled to what the hand was, and you could tell that they sort of didn't have a plan from the get-go. I like yeah. all the set up and Madame Gao and all the sort of mystical aspects they're teasing. Like, like in the comics, the hand is a very mystical sort of organization. Like they worship a fucking a Japanese demon called the the Beast that would that would possess creatures and whatnot. So. To see it mm-hmm. pay off in a manner that was so... It was like the opposite of Mystical. It was very, very fucking disappointing. That whole Defenders thing but, really turned me off to the whole Netflix shows. I was a very... Yeah. I, was, I was probably the biggest Netflix shows fan until the Defenders. So to see just all go to shit was very, very heartbreaking for me.
2: You know uh, what the yeah. sad thing is? You only now reminded me that Sigourney freaking Weaver... Was not Defenders as the villain, and I completely forgot about it.
0: Another <laughs> worst villain on the list. There you have it.
2: I mean, yeah. it's not she a bad it, She does an right? incredible performance. Yeah. yeah. They just wasted the concept. Because, they, because everyone expects her to be a comic character, especially with the hand. And then it was just kind of like, oh, she's just evil Sigourney just Weaver.
0: <laughs> yeah, she's just there, you know, trying to. It's just disappointing. You know, I was so invested. Uh, before watching the defenders i was reading up i was trying to prepare and then when i found out about a villain and uh, it went downhill mm-hmm. from there
1: <laughs> I, I can't even remember the character of sigourney weaver i forgot same. the name
0: yeah absolutely <laughs> same is it I like just, um when you mentioned it like, Joe, i just thought of it right now literally now
1: <laughs> oh my god That's so bad
0: so
2: yeah, but that the sad so that thing so is they have some of the best villains too. That's what I find sad. I mean, Bullseye, yeah. Kingpin, Kilgrave—they're incredibly done characters. And then you have these. King, dib- King, I still King. think Bushmaster was incredibly well done. And uh, uh, oh, what's his name? Mah- Mahashala Ali's character.
1: Oh yeah, Cottonmouth. Ca- yeah.
2: Cottonmouth. Thank you. Who's yeah. now Blade? Yeah. Ooh, upcoming.
1: Yeah, who's now Blade?
0: Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, so there you have it. Those are. The worst Marvel TV villains. We have Madame Gal of the Hand. We have. What's your entry again, Joe?
2: I forgot. Uh, mine, oh. uh, I, I almost forget again. again uh, Jessica Jones' mother. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jessica Jones' mother. <laughs> this
0: is Joe. Charles, your, your entry? Joe, I forgot. I forgot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> for my entry. They're for so bad say, um... that we forgot. Uh, holy shit, I, dude! I fucking literally forgot who I who just. Uh,
2: Punisher Two, uh, the priest guy. Uh, the priest guy from Punisher Two. Thank
0: you. Oh my god, <laughs> that's that's a that testament to you know, that why they are the worst villains, guys. We forgot about it yeah. like literally a
2: minute. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we were just talking about
2: it. <laughs> I love so, how we all did it.
0: <laughs> yeah. So. God, so there you have it, uh, folks. For those of you who uh, we are listening, uh, if you have another entry in the worst Marvel TV film, you can tweet us at twitter.com slash Exchange. You can also like us on Facebook and comment on the next post about the MC Exchange podcast. Feel free to comment your Marvel worst Marvel TV villain, and you can read it on the next episode. Um, you can also follow us on Spotify, YouTube, Anchor, Google Podcasts, and Breaker. For all the latest episodes, the past episodes, you can listen to it while at home staying in quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can also follow me on Twitter that's Twitter.com slash Aaron That's A-E-R-O-N-C-H-I-N-O. You can also follow
2: Charles on Twitter.
1: You can follow me on Twitter at CFS Web.
2: And Joe. At that Abel T-H-A-T-A-B-E-R-L.
0: So this has been another lengthy and informative episode of the MC Exchange podcast. You guys keep safe. Till next time. Till next time.